Hey guys, it's Thea here and welcome to the very first episode of the Get Me Started podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate the support. I'm really excited to be starting on this new project and I hope that you guys can get a lot out of this. The idea behind this podcast is that it is going to be quite interactive and it relies on the audience's contributions to really make these solo episodes like the one today possible. And going forward, I'm sure I'm going to have lots of you from this community on the podcast to talk about all the things that you are also passionate about, because that's what it's all about, talking about the things we can't stop talking about. So the very first episode for the podcast today is the commercialization of insecurity. And this was a topic that came about through the Women's Business Discussion Group and from a survey I posted to that Facebook group a couple of months ago now toward the beginning of lockdown. And I'm using those results to lead the structure of the podcast today. But that does mean that the feedback that I got and the survey results that I received are all from female identifying individuals. So we don't have that full gender spectrum representation in this episode, but that's going to change going forward with this community. So the first episode, let's get to it. When we're talking about the commercialization of insecurity, we're not just talking about insecurity and what it is and how it affects us. I want to talk about where it comes from and what systems in society lead to it being something that has been commodified, has been used for monetary gain. What structures lead to our insecurities being used for the financial gain of other people? Now, a key source of insecurity or I guess modes of negative thinking about our bodies has arisen from social media. And that was something that was very clear in the survey results. A lot of people said that social media is the number one thing that makes them insecure about themselves. And that's pretty self-explanatory. We all know the stats behind that. We all know the information behind that. We all have experienced that, I'm sure, to some extent. But what is it about social media that does make it such an effective mechanism of creating insecurity in others? I think for our generation in particular, social media is a form of cultural technology and it's reliant on visuals. And those visuals are given status through likes and whether that be the number of actual likes you get on a picture or a post, but also through the way in which your friends interact with your content overall and the number of followers that you have. So irrespective of whether or not you are actually using social media to create a very specific platform for yourself, or if you are just viewing it as a space to share content with your friends, there is an essence of value placed behind each and every post that we make. And what social media has effectively done is create and re-emphasize this idea that every single person in and of themselves is a brand and that the way you represent yourself matters because you're selling yourself, whether that be for money or for likes, in a sense, to your audience. And that selling, yes, can be for financial gain if you're an influencer or someone who gets traction through those kinds of posts, but also just selling who you are, your expressing yourself. You're giving people an indication of what you're into, who you hang out with, what kind of things pique your interests, whether that be personal, visual, interpersonal, whatever it is, you are selling yourself to your audience. 
And when we become a brand in and of ourselves, we start to take on a lot of the problems that branding does to somebody. We become ultra sensitive to changes and ebbs and flows in our audience's responses to us. We are more likely to carefully curate our presentation. The instigation of things like the close friends list on stories for Instagram further developed that in the sense that you can keep presenting one particular image to the broader audience and then perhaps a less polished image to your closer audience. And that's a form of self-regulation because you know that certain kinds of feedback and certain kinds of imagery are going to gain certain kinds of responses, which you are more comfortable with one or another audience receiving. And all of these things are reflective of the way in which we take on the subliminal and conscious messaging that social media gives us and use it to inform our decision-making processes when we use these kinds of platforms. I think everyone can understand that The social media world in the sense of influences very much comes down to this perceived correlation of desirability and attractiveness to content and success. And what this does is it reinforces and re-ingrains certain trends and ideals that are already present in other areas of society and may have already been present for decades, but it further introduces them and re-ingrains them into the psyche of the now because if you go and do a survey of the most liked photos or the most followed influences whether that be on a global level or just on a local level a lot of the influences that you're going to encounter fit within very specific kinds of representation and body image and I know that there is a widespread below maybe that peak of the pyramid but If we're really looking from a top-down perspective and moving further and further away from our own individual self, what you see is this sameness, this uniformity in trends, in aesthetic, in look, in tone of voice even. And it's undeniable to say that those things come back to influence us on more minute levels whether or not we want to fully acknowledge the influence that say someone like the Kardashians could have on your individual self when you don't see yourself as someone who feeds into or pays attention to their kind of body image and body representation but you've got to think about the fact that these things come back in minute ways through counterculture even so the antithesis of someone you might not engage with may then become your engagement point and therefore in a sense you are still engaging with the identity of the person who you first said you wanted nothing to do with. But let's come back to what this actually does and how does this actually play out and what are the more intrusive forms of commercialization that then come into play once we have this socially accepted and endorsed standard of beauty and imagery around the body. Our key sector to look at when we talk about this kind of stuff is the cosmetics industry in forms of plastic surgery and less invasive body modification procedures. Now, Australia, as a nation, spends approximately 
$1 billion on cosmetic procedures every single year, which per capita is 40% more than the US. And that statistic really indicates a trend towards body modification and cosmetic procedures on every level and really demonstrates how widespread that is. Now, what that comes back to, what that's linked to, why that necessarily is, I'm sure that there is a massive range of influences behind why Australia is such a big spender on cosmetics procedures. But something that you have to acknowledge about these procedures is that they are often about trying to fix ourselves in time. So a time of perfect age or perfect beauty or perfect look. And the problem is our bodies don't remain constant. They don't stick in the same way that we maybe want them to, particularly when people undergo cosmetic procedures. There is a need for constant renewal, constant revisiting, constant re-evaluating of what procedures are necessary in order to maintain very particular images of ourselves. In the survey, a number of participants indicated that they had either had or were planning to have various forms of cosmetic procedures done, whether that be more invasive forms of like full plastic surgery or things like lip injections, Botox, Uh, microblading for eyebrows is technically a cosmetic procedure, all of these things. And this is where the money comes into it. Because if we're spending a billion dollars a year on cosmetics procedures for things which we know aren't going to necessarily last longer than, you know, six weeks or five years, that's a big spend on a sector which doesn't have a necessarily tangible positive outcome or investment. So this is where I want to take it one step bigger again. So I've gone from the individual to social media to cosmetics procedures and all the other industries that feed into social media. So what's the step out of that? The step out of that is what kind of society do we live in? We live in a capitalist society and the structures of capitalism require certain things of consumers in order to be successful and to create positive economic growth. Now, two of those things is the benefits of someone being insecure and also the benefits of indulgent consumerism. Now, to articulate these ideas without just going down a whole different series of rabbit holes, I'm going to try and keep it concise. I think a quote that encapsulates these two ideas quite well is... Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like, or in the case of our generation, even know. Now, we all know that brands use insecurities to sell things to us, but how deep that method of creating consumer desire goes is something that I think we become almost immune to in the sense that we become oblivious to it when it's happening to us. It is so easy and so normal and so every day to feel that urge to, oh, if I get that, that'll fix that problem. Oh, if I get that, that'll make me appear this way. And really what it's doing is that our appearances and the things that we buy enable us to have a level of social mobility that doesn't actually require us to be able to 
move between social spectrums. And what I mean by that is that your appearance is a curation of how you interact with the world. And we all want to fit into particular groups or with particular people or into particular trends. And the way you purchase items, particularly when it comes to clothing and personal products, will inform how well you can fit into those things on a base level. And a lot of people buy things that they do not need in order to feel in themselves that they belong to a specific category of social group. And what that leads to is this idea of indulgent consumerism, is that we are self-indulgent, that we buy without thinking because to have the thing is to abide that fear of being rejected, of feeling insecure, because when you buy that new piece or you wear that new outfit, even if it's just for a minute or maybe it's for several months, you feel a little bit more secure in your identity and in your personal representations to the world. So this indulgent consumerism helps to fuel the consumption of products, which is what capitalism requires of us in order to function, in that the more you buy, the better the economics of the world are, but potentially the worse the economics of yourself are. And that's really where the indulgent part comes in, is that we spend without thinking and in doing so actually limit our overall social mobility and our ability to actually progress into different spectrums of living into different class groups because we get caught up in buying things for the now, buying things for the trivial trivial idea of posting a certain kind of photo and getting a certain kind of reaction based on a certain kind of image that we can portray to those around us. And this is just all a factor of capitalism. It all comes back to the big machine and being a little bit of a cog in the wheel, no matter how hard we try, because the more you lean into these insecurities and the more you allow yourself to get caught up in the idea that a product or an item or a look can actually fix that feeling of insecurity, the more you're feeding this capitalist ideal that, yes, you can buy yourself a better life. And you should buy yourself a better life. Indeed, you should spend all your money on buying yourself this better life because that means that the top percentiles of society will become richer and richer and wealthier and wealthier. This is particularly interesting to me if you also look at it from the feminist lens in the idea that women in society are portrayed as being the most avid consumers and also typically as being the worst with money. And this is a twofold capitalist patriarchy mashup of indicating that women are over-consuming in every facet of life, but also have a zero understanding of the implications of that on themselves financially. And when you want to talk about social mobility and increasing your social status and increasing your value in society as an individual, if you lack the ability to regulate your own financial well-being and you are just feeding your money into very materialistic things, you're going to struggle to further yourself as an individual because you require a certain level of financial independence in order to progress through a lot of normative social standards. And when you look at it with that lens and you look at the way that 
society has typified women as these overt consumers and how that actually does lead to more consuming within female groups because it's seen as normal and it's seen as acceptable and it's seen as what you have to do as a woman to keep up. And if these patterns continue, it's just solidifying the gaps that we have in society between men and women and between class groups and between access to different kinds of resources and ability to create fundamental change within any kind of social category. Now, I want to bring it back, do the full loop, come back to the individual and reflect on the responses from the survey that indicated that they feel that they themselves are manifesting their own insecurity irrespective of other kinds of influences. And what can we learn from this difference between our internal and our external dialogues and the way in which these broader structures really come to play a part in the way we view ourselves? I think the first thing that has to be said is that even if we further the insecurities that we feel and even if we feed into them in ourselves through unhealthy habits and unhealthy mindsets it's really very difficult to remove that kind of negativity from yourself without very active intentional change and recognition of your environment i think that a secondary aspect of this capitalist structure that feeds into all of these things is the fact that it tells us we can fix everything ourselves. It tells us that, yeah, no, you can, because if you buy this thing or you do this thing, or if you just hustle harder, or if you just connect with this kind of environment better, you can yourself change it through being involved in this social thinking. But really, you have to almost push yourself to go outside of that and to really recognize the influences and be a little bit kinder to yourself in the fact that the influences are going to keep influencing you, even if you have the best headspace ever around these kinds of issues. And people within the surveys who indicated less issues around insecurity, who felt much more secure in their identity, much more secure in their body, who didn't find themselves being nitpicky. They also said that a lot of the things that they did to maintain positive body image was removing social media, was recognizing the influence that it has, was reading literature and engaging with kinds of media that are more gentle and more comprehensive of the full spectrum of body and self-care. And I think those that correlation between people who remove themselves from social media and are very cognizant of it and feeling better in their bodies themselves is just a representation of how you have to really actively and intentionally change your environment to move away from these ingrained normative insecurities. It's also interesting here then to reflect on how we talk about our bodies to ourselves and to others. A lot of people in the surveys said that they themselves felt either very negatively or very positively about their body but the way in which they would speak to their friends or peers about their own bodies and also just more generally on the topic was very very different 
A lot of people who felt secure in their own personal body image said that they avoid speaking about these topics with their friendship groups or with their peers because they know of the potential triggers that it has and they know of the potential negative dialogue that that can create and they don't want to be the initiator of any of those kinds of conversations because they don't fit into this sort of perceived idea that we have to talk negatively about our bodies in order to be like accepted and body self-love especially very openly isn't something that's widely supported I guess in a broad range of social settings then conversely people who felt quite negatively about their own body image often said that they were very supportive of their friends because they felt that If they have these internal dialogues and their friends maybe express similar thoughts or feelings, they want to help counteract them. And so they act very positively towards their friends. They encourage their friends to be very loving to themselves because they understand and comprehend the level of self-doubt and insecurity that can come into all of this. It's very poignant that we internalize these dialogues of negativity and yet then try and put forward this really positive spin on the way our peers around us talk about their body and although it comes from a very good place it is a bit of a twisted normality in that why do we not all speak positively about our bodies why do we not more widely celebrate ourselves and others in that but what is so strange to us about liking ourselves what is so strange that in conversation we can't all speak about the things that we love about ourselves the default instead is to speak about all the things we don't love about ourselves and this sort of idea that to love yourself openly to fully acknowledge and speak on how much you love yourself and your body is quite foreign and maybe quite jarring to people because it's not how we function as a society but that just goes back to everything that we've spoken about today in the sense that we can't make money of people liking themselves that's not how the system works and that might seem very separate from you know your own internal dialogue but I think it's really important to recognize that you live in a certain society and however much you want to deny your relationship to it, it's influencing you every single day. And if you can become cognizant of that and, you know, really have a bit of a moment where you double think about things when you want something and you feel insecure, like where is that really coming from? Who told you that you are not good enough because you are good enough? Whatever messages you've gotten from broader society about you not being good enough or looking a certain way and that being wrong are just false narratives that are created by systems that want to profit off us. And we do have the ability to regulate that for ourselves and for those around us. And I think that that's a really important message to hold on to because who told you you weren't good enough? Because I can't really think of anyone who once sat me down and listed every single flaw that I find in my own personal body. And yet I believe those voices in my head more than I believe the friends around me who tell me that they're not true. And that is very problematic, in my opinion. These notions of desirability as well really have a lot to say for where we fit 
in this social world. And then you've got to think about issues as well of race, of ability, of class, and how those factors layer on extra levels of insecurity and a feeling of disconnection, which are going to be covered in future episodes. Because trust me, you don't want to get me started on some of those. I think the message to take away from all of this is that, yes, it might seem a bit wanky even to take it up to this high level of like, oh, I'm insecure about this because capitalism, but really it's quite the truth. It is inherent in our systems. And the more you recognize every layer of this conversation, the easier it is in your own individual layer in in your own individual life to separate out from these things and become more secure in yourself because you know that the influences and the negativity isn't real and tangible in the sense that you don't have to feed the beast. You can choose to separate yourself out from it to a greater extent than maybe you have done in the past. A few suggestions and methods for combating different kinds of insecurity that came out from the survey is the use of positive affirmations, which can be both written or verbal. The curation of your social media to fit better into what the real world actually looks like. So really making an effort to follow people from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, from all different appearances, not only just for your own benefit, but also just to ensure that you're actually getting a very much more realistic visual representation of the world in which you are choosing to engage with. Exercise and healthy eating obviously come up a lot because if you take care of your body, you're much more likely to like it because you know you're doing the best you can. And I think my overall takeaway is just acknowledge your place in the world. Just because we're part of this big big system doesn't make us powerless, but also you've got to cut yourself some slack because you're part of a really big system and a really big world over which you do not have complete control and controlling your own personal identity can only go so far even within that. Now, to round out the conversation today, I have a couple of suggestions of things to watch, read and listen to if you're looking for more insights into this topic or you want to go and do your own research. I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on what we've spoken about today and I know I could have spoken about it for a lot longer. But some initial points of reference for you are The Beauty Myth, by Naomi Wolf, which is a seminal text around the commodification of women's imagery in the way in which certain things have arisen out of a desire for patriarchal control of the female body. Uh, The docuseries Kathy Burke's All Woman, which is on BBC4 and was recommended by one of the listeners who said that it's been a great insight into some of the different industries and some of the different social perceptions of beauty and how those have developed over the ages. And another podcast that you can go and listen to, Anoni has a podcast called Adulting, and there's a number of episodes on there about fat phobia, uh, beauty standards across races, ability with beauty, and all of those kinds of topics, which delve into these things in ways that I can't do justice to. Uh, on my own. So that would be my first list of recommendations for you guys to go and find out more about this yourselves. But I also want you guys to share your thoughts and feelings in the comments when we post this episode. And I'm open to any and all feedback about what you want to hear next and who you want me to bring on the show to talk about what kinds of topics. I hope that this has been 
educational experience. If not, I hope that you've gotten through the whole thing and it hasn't been too tedious for you. But I'm really looking forward to growing my confidence with this and recording new episodes into the future. So thank you very much for listening to this first episode and I hope to be in your ears sometime soon.